Well, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't know where they find the talent for those videos, but <laughs> keep them coming. For those of you who don't know, I am uh, Pastor Jason, as seen in the video for the men's breakfast. I get to serve as the adult ministry pastor here at Friendship. And uh, yeah, I, I want to reiterate from that video, um, Ben Pierce is coming in. We actually have one of his books in our library. Uh, so he's written uh, about this whole idea of reaching those in a culture that is post-Christian, reaching those in a culture that doesn't really align with Christian values anymore. And um, it will be awesome to hear from him. Uh, and men, if you are interested in reading more about that, we do have this in the library uh, here. And you're more than welcome to check this out. Uh, you can come see me after the service if you want more info on that. Uh, this morning, we're, we're continuing our sermon series on uh, kingdom logic through the gospel of Mark. And I thank the Lord every time I get an opportunity to open up God's word with you here at Prior Lake. My wife and I uh, primarily attend the Shakopee campus, and so it's just a special blessing to be around folks that we're becoming more familiar with over here at Prior Lake. Uh, we've always felt welcomed and uh, excited to do life with you guys and follow the Lord. And that's what we're learning this morning is uh, the kingdom logic that Jesus calls us to in terms of following him, uh, entering the kingdom, and receiving the kingdom. Jesus and the ministry that he accomplished uh, here on earth has a lot to teach us about the values and the belief system of the kingdom of God. And often this kingdom logic turns worldly logic uh, on its head. Many will often refer to the kingdom of God as an upside-down kingdom. And so this morning, we're going to dive into one of those principles and dive into kingdom logic uh, in, in the gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Mark chapter 10. If you have your devices, you can uh, make your way over to Mark chapter 10. We'll be starting in verse 13. Um, and as you're doing that, let me just set the, the, lay the foundation for us here. We live in a world that uh, is set up to give you what you earn. So you want the promotion? Work hard for it. You want the good grade? Study up. You want praise? Uh, prove yourself to be useful and valuable. If you want something, you have to earn it. Uh, this is one of the things that flies in the face of kingdom logic, particularly when it comes to how do we enter the kingdom. Um, because what we're going to see if we uh, skip through the reading really quick, we're going to see that uh, by the miraculous grace of God, the kingdom can be received but not earned. And that's the whole point of this morning uh, is looking at, man, how often we think about earning and earning and earning. But that's not kingdom logic uh, when it comes to receiving God's grace. It's not kingdom logic when it comes to how do I enter the kingdom. That's not kingdom logic when it comes to how do I follow the Lord. And we're going to see that as we... Uh, read through Mark 10. And so, we've talked about reading scripture. Let's do it. Why don't you stand as we hear from God's word together, starting in Mark chapter 10, verse 13. <clears throat> and they were bringing children to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. 
Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God, not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter said to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. The word of the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, it would challenge us and transform us so that we look more and more like Jesus. Jesus, we desire to follow you and ask that you would be the center of our lives. Let not riches nor self-righteousness blind us to our need for you. We come as helpless children before you to receive your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. By the miraculous grace of God, the kingdom is received, not earned. You're going to hear that a lot this morning because we want to earn. And we're just going to hear that message over and over again. The kingdom is received, not earned. And that's what we learn in this story. As we walk through, we're going to look at this principle of receiving the kingdom with childlike faith, as we saw when they were bringing the children to Jesus. And then uh, we'll move on into the deceitfulness of wealth uh, as it may blind us to our need for Jesus and, and sometimes make us believe that we can earn God's grace. And so we're going to jump in to Mark, uh, if I can find Mark, here we go, Mark 10, <coughs> excuse me, starting in verse 13. We're going to read that part again, Mark 10, 13 to 16. I know we just read it, but oh man, Kevin is all over it. Thank you. Childlike faith can receive the kingdom. And they were bringing the children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. 
But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. See, the kingdom is for the insignificant. At least insignificant according to our worldly hierarchy and standards. Especially in this culture, in this time in the world, children uh, had no value. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe male children uh, had value down the road because they could carry on the family name and become good laborers. But uh, children in and of themselves, uh, they were somewhat burdensome. And Jesus here is reclaiming uh, that and saying, look, <coughs> you, have your, uh, you have your hierarchy set up and children fall near the bottom of that. Um, my kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Actually, the, the, the children are the one that said, I want to come to me. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, not, not the rich man, not the, not the powerful man, but, but the child, the one who is, according to your standards, insignificant. So the kingdom is for the insignificant here, but taking it a step further in, into kingdom logic, actually, there's no such thing as insignificant in the kingdom of heaven. That's not, there, there's no hierarchy of significance in the kingdom of heaven. Those who belong to the kingdom of heaven find their value and their significance in the fact that one, they were made in the image of God, and two, they were purchased by the blood of Christ. Can anything make you more valuable or more significant than that? What Christ is getting at here is, man, these, these, you've got it all wrong. The kingdom is for those very people that society may say, ah, oh, they are insignificant. Childlike faith can receive the kingdom. Children can't earn their place in society. But in the kingdom of God, nobody earns their place. Children receive it. We, if we can humble ourselves, receive God's grace. We don't earn it. Jesus tells his listeners that in verse 15. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. He makes comparison there. Receive the kingdom as a child would. What is it about children that Jesus is drawing upon here? You could, you could think about it and mull over it and say, well, children are innocent. Maybe it's a childlike innocence. You think a little bit more and, uh, well, maybe it's their humility. They just, they're just humble, just naturally humble. Um, What's being addressed here is uh, young children, probably infants. Luke's, Luke's account of this story uses the word for infants. And Mark's account here later on tells us that Jesus gathered them into his arms. It's difficult to gather. Have you ever tried to gather a toddler or two into your arms at once? No way. Those, those babies are running away. So most likely these are infants here. What is it about infants that, is making, that uh, Jesus is making the connection to? Infants are helpless. Infants can do nothing. They can earn nothing. Uh, and, and without any help, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they'll die if left alone. 
if left unattended. They, they cannot provide for themselves. They're helpless. And something else about infants is they are unashamedly helpless. If they need something, they're crying for that. They're not going, they're not thinking in their minds, oh, I need that, but I shouldn't ask. I don't, I don't want to look needy. That doesn't go through the mind of an infant, trust me. Doesn't matter what time it is either. It could be 3 a.m. They need something, they need it, and they let you know. And that's the comparison Christ is making. Receive the kingdom as an infant receives help, knowing that I've got nothing else. I must depend on the mercy of those who can provide for me. Receive the kingdom like a child. Childlike faith can receive the kingdom. Unless a person recognizes their absolute need for God and becomes like a child like that before the Lord, Jesus says they cannot enter the kingdom. This childlike faith and dependence recognizes that all of my possessions are given to me by God. It's hard for us to remember that in the context that we live in, that the food on my plate comes from the Lord and not from the abundance of my bank account, and not from the uh, money that I earn at work. Yes, the Lord uses those things to provide for us, but if God stopped providing, I don't care how hard of a worker you are. If God shut up the heavens, you're not getting anything. And that's this childlike dependence that even in a culture where we can provide for ourselves, we must be countercultural and say, no, the Lord is providing for me. That doesn't mean stop working, sit on the couch, and he's going to send you manna. Nope, not all that works. But our attitude that says God is providing, and if he doesn't, none of what I do matters because the Lord is not meeting my needs, and he is not providing for me. Not just physically depending on the Lord, but spiritually as well. Uh, the gospel authors nail this. In, in the gospel of Luke, the Sermon on the uh, Plain, which is the Sermon on the Mount, uh, says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor. Probably more so talking about materially poor. Matthew, on the other hand, Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Again, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Same language here. The children, it's the children's whose is the, lang- is the kingdom of God. It's when we become poor and recognize that we are poor materially unless the poor Lord provides and poor spiritually, we are poor spiritually unless the Lord provides through Christ Jesus. It's when we hit that point of helplessness that the kingdom is ours to receive. But before that, if, if we don't have that attitude, it's not ours because we're trying to earn it and you can't earn it. That's the point. Are you helpless this morning? This flies in the face of our worldly logic that wants to be self-sufficient. Are you helpless this morning? Or do you have it all together? No, I'm not a, I'm not a child. I don't need anything. I've got this. Where do you fall this morning? Materially, spiritually. God, I am a fragile human being. Without your daily provision for my basic needs, I cannot survive. God, I am a sinner. 
Without you, my life is leading to destruction. God, I need you. Childlike faith can receive the kingdom. This was crucial for me growing in the Lord. He graciously revealed this to me at some point uh, early on in college. In, in high school, near the end of my high school career, I uh, started to build my life with Christ at the foundation. And when you're doing that in your own strength, whew, that's a lot of work. And it was a lot of work and it was a lot of pressure. And I never felt like I was measuring up. And sometimes I would doubt my salvation. God, I'm not, I'm not doing good enough, am I? Am I even saved? Then one day I was sharing about Jesus with somebody and I was trying to explain to them what grace was. And I was like, you, you need to understand grace. Like, you, you're trying to earn this thing. And I left the conversation going, oh, man, no, that's me. I need to understand what grace is. And I started to try to receive the Lord's grace and walk in that. And you know what happened? This burden of trying to earn and, and trying to please God, that burden was lifted. It was freeing to approach the Lord like a child again. Because childlike faith can receive the kingdom. But as we're going to see, uh, as we move on here, man, when we try to earn, we'll never measure up and we'll never earn it. Are you childlike? Are you helpless this morning? Or are you self-sufficient? As we keep reading, we, we see this uh, positive statement, childlike faith can receive the kingdom, expressed kind of in the negative sense, moral wealth cannot earn the kingdom. So as we keep reading in Mark 10, verse 17, uh, we see, yeah, this similar principle that wealth, moral wealth or material wealth, cannot earn the kingdom. Picking up in verse 17, and Jesus, uh, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see the focus there on earning? This guy's got a ton of wealth, and, and he uses the word for inherit, which is typically tied to gaining more wealth. And he's like, how do, I get, how do I get that? I've got a lot of wealth amassed. How do I add on to that? And what do I do to increase this amount of wealth that I've got? Because I want to add eternal life into what I've already got. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This is setting Christ up to remind him your moral wealth isn't as good as you think it is. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. When he said that, he meant it. Jesus doesn't like hypocrisy. He calls it out. Jesus doesn't like arrogance. He calls it out. He does not challenge this man on whether or not he has kept those laws. It's safe for us to assume that this man from childhood has kept the laws that he said that he has kept to the letter of the law, maybe not the intent behind them, but certainly to the letter of the law. This man is, is giving Jesus his, uh, these are my credentials, Jesus. Does this earn me the kingdom? Have I done enough? Is my moral wealth that I've accumulated enough to earn me the kingdom? Here's a person who feels the need to prove his value and his worth first. Before God accepts me, I must show him that I'm acceptable. 
But Jesus, he's about to tell this man, for everything that you have, your moral wealth, your material wealth, you still lack one thing. And that's the object of his faith. He was trusting in his wealth to be right before God. Specifically here, not his material wealth. He's trusting in his moral wealth. He's trusting in his righteousness. God, I've done it. I got it, Jesus. I did it from childhood. I followed these. Does that earn me eternal life? My law keeping, my righteousness can earn me the kingdom. You see, this is worldly logic. A child has no leg to stand on. A child recognizes their helplessness. As adults, however, growing up in the world that we grow up in, we are trained and learn to depend on our moral or on our material wealth to earn the love or the favor of others. Now, when I was uh, working in student ministry for the last 10 years, before I had kids, I had a ton of advice for parents. <laughs> I wish I could go back in time and just say, shut up. <laughs> I am learning as a parent how to raise kids in the Lord. One of the things I've been convicted of is i got to tell our kids uh, why I love them. They're going to learn really quick that in a lot of different areas, uh, if they don't perform or hit a certain expectation, people aren't going to care about them. That's where their value is going to come from. And so I, I, I try to ask my sons most every day, you know, I love you. Why does dad love you? Why does dad love you? Because you are mine. Not because of anything that you do. Because you are mine. A child can receive that. As adults, we're too smart for that. Really? You love me? You love me for, uh, you, you love me not because of anything that I've done? Yeah, right. What's the catch? Children can receive that. Children can dare to believe that. But the more pressure we get put on ourselves to accumulate moral wealth or material wealth, the more we start to think and operate in a, no, I've got to earn it, don't I? I've got to earn your trust, don't I? I've, I've got to earn your respect, don't I? And certainly, living in a fallen world, sometimes trust is breached and we need to re-earn that trust and that's fair and right. But when we approach the Lord, we don't earn his love. God loves us because if we have trusted in Christ Jesus, we are his. That's why he loves us. We don't earn it. Are you depending on your moral wealth this morning to earn the kingdom? Are you relying on your self-will to do better? This doesn't mean that we're not called to grow in the Lord. It does mean that we should not operate from a, God, here's what I've done. Is that good enough? Are you depending on your moral wealth to earn the kingdom? 
or are you becoming like a child and recognizing God, I, I have no moral standing before you. I may not have physically murdered somebody, but I got mad enough at them in traffic to have done it. And Jesus makes it clear in that same Sermon on the Mount that if you hate your brother, you've, you've committed murder. If you look lustfully, you've committed adultery. Man, I am bankrupt before the Lord. I don't have any wealth. I've, got a def- I've overdrafted. Moral wealth cannot earn the kingdom. Under the law, I stand condemned. I am helpless. God, I need you. In a similar way as we move on. Material wealth cannot earn the kingdom. Look at how the story unfolds in verses 21 to 25. And Jesus, looking at this man, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now Jesus kind of looks around, looked around at the disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Why? Because in this time, whether you're pagan or whether you are Jewish, you looked at wealth as, oh, That's clearly God's favor on that person's life. Didn't matter what religion you were. uh, Jewish rabbis wrote about that. That wealth was a clear indicator that the Lord was looking upon you favorably. So the disciples are are using the right logic. They're saying, uh, they're amazed at this. If wait, uh, if, if the morally upright, the one who's kept these commands, and materially blessed, clearly having the favor of the Lord, if they can't enter the kingdom, can anybody? Like, if those people can't, how how could anybody ever enter the kingdom? And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, again, here's the kicker. It's not just the wealthy. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. In general, it's difficult to enter the kingdom of God. But, But wealth has some of its own unique dangers that it poses. And so he goes on, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God who feels uncomfortable. Knowing that any any family, any situation in this room is wealthier than any one of the listeners that Christ had at this time. Who feels uncomfortable? Sometimes people have felt uncomfortable and said, oh, when, when, when Jesus says the camel going through the eye of a needle, he's actually talking about a camel going through this little port that got you into the city. Uh, that The earliest reference we have to that is in the ninth century. And I think that was wealthy people not wanting to feel uncomfortable and saying, let's reread this a different way. No, no, no. This should make us uncomfortable. We should feel uncomfortable because of the wealth that we have inherited and the wealth that we have materially from the Lord. We should be uncomfortable. What we shouldn't be is questioning our salvation. I was talking with a brother earlier this week about this passage, and, and, and he was like, man, I, that really makes me uncomfortable, and at times it has made me doubt my salvation. And I said, 
Look at, look at what it says. The point that Jesus is making. He, yes, he is saying things about wealth and things that we ought to do and the ways that we ought to treat wealth if we have it. Absolutely. But more than that, he's saying it is impossible without God for anybody. How difficult, children, it is to enter the kingdom of God. Yes, those who have wealth, it's more difficult for them to see their need than those who don't have wealth. But it's just as difficult. Rich dead people and poor dead people both need to be brought to life. Is one harder than the other? Or are they equally impossible? Is it equally miraculous when the Lord brings one from wealth and one from poverty into the kingdom of heaven? Again, we should feel uncomfortable, though, with the wealth that we have. And that's good. That's God's grace. Because that spurs us to say, okay, Lord, then what? What then do I do with these blessings that you've given me? They don't earn me the kingdom. And Lord, my prayer is, do not let them blind me to my need for you. Do not let them blind me. And Lord, do not let me get so caught up in, in the things of this world because I have wealth that my affections are now stirred towards material things and not to you. That's what happened to this man. He walked away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. He had allowed wealth to be deceitful, as Christ says, the deceitfulness of wealth, Mark 4, parable of the soils, the deceitfulness of wealth that chokes out the good word. He had allowed that deceitfulness of wealth to make him think, my wealth will grant me security, my wealth and the things of the world will grant me satisfaction. So when Christ tells him, go sell all of that, he's saying, are you, no, I can't do that. You're telling me to give up the very things that I depend on and rely on for my basic needs, and for my satisfaction. This man was trying to add and amass to his wealth. And Christ was saying, you got it wrong. This is the thing. The kingdom is the thing. Who cares about the other stuff? You need the kingdom. There are parables all over the gospels that say, sell the pearl. Sell the land. Get the kingdom. Material wealth cannot earn the kingdom. And there's a particular danger with wealth that it may blind us to our need for the Lord and stir our affections somewhere else. Do you see the irony here? When the rich man is compared to the children from earlier, the children who possess nothing are told that they are, they're not told that they lack anything. Actually, theirs is the kingdom of God. The rich man who has everything, morally, materially, he's got it all, and Jesus says, you're lacking. You lack one thing. Only when he sells all that he has, only when he becomes a vulnerable child, will he possess everything. Church, there is a danger in, in wealth. That is not to say that wealth should be renounced. Joseph of Arimathea, Christ would have no tomb if it weren't for him. Wealthy man used it for God's glory. Faithful brothers and sisters in the church who opened up their homes and used their wealth to bless the church so that the home church could, churches could thrive and Christianity could survive. 
Those things would not have happened had every Christian renounced all material things and given it away. I'm trying to walk a line for myself and for us of let's feel uncomfortable, but let's not get to the point of uh, everybody in this room, go sell everything that you have. He may call some of us to do that. That's between you and the Lord. What Christ is getting at is the heart. Is, are, is the wealth and the material possessions stealing your heart from the Lord? So that when he says, what's more important, this wealth or my kingdom, you're not disheartened and you're not sorrowful like the man. It's dangerous. Jesus knows it. He knows, he knows the human condition. He knows how our hearts and our affections work. It's dangerous. Fortunately, we've got somebody on our side who's a little bit more wise than we are, uh, who's a little bit more powerful than we are, the Holy Spirit, that we may walk by and handle our, health, our wealth wisely and invest it in kingdom things. But moral and material wealth cannot earn the kingdom. In fact, it is impossible to earn the kingdom. And only by God's miraculous grace, that's what allows us to receive the kingdom. If we read on in Mark 10, 26 and 27, it says, They were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Bingo! Exactly, Jesus says. He looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible. You got it. The disciples don't get a lot of things right in Mark. They did here. Nailed it. Jesus, who can be saved then? It sounds like nobody can. Yes. It's impossible with man. All things are possible with God. It's a miracle for anybody to be saved by God's grace. He brings us from death to our sin, to life in Christ Jesus. Yeah, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to earn the kingdom of God. Why? It's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's impossible for a rich person to earn the kingdom of God, not because he's rich, but because he's trying to earn it. It's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. But with God, all things are possible. Camels go through the eyes of needles because of God's grace. When it is received with childlike faith. And that's exactly why we must be childlike in our helplessness, in our humility, and in recognizing our absolute need for God. And then that puts wealth in its proper place. Not something to amass more of for the sake of satisfaction or for the sake of uh, security. Not something to pursue in and of itself. But something to be utilized if the Lord has given it to us for the sake of the kingdom. And after wealth has been put in its proper place, Jesus promises more wealth. There is greater wealth in the kingdom of God than in the kingdom of earth. Kingdom logic, however, will redefine that wealth. This is the closest passage I think you can find in Scripture to what we call the prosperity gospel. Where Jesus literally promises, if you renounce these material things, in this time, you will get a hundredfold of those material things in this time. 
What he's doing, though, is the language that's being used there is brother and mother and sister and homes. He's talking about the church. When you become united to Christ, you become a part of the church, a part of God's family. And it is a family that every single individual who has ever put their faith in Christ Jesus throughout nations, throughout time, every single individual is a part of that family. When you've been united to Christ and your wealth has been put in its proper place as, as serving the glory of the Lord, all of that wealth of everybody in this room and everybody across the globe is brought together in Christ Jesus. So now I no longer have the support just of maybe one or two biological siblings, but the support of millions of spiritual siblings and fathers and mothers. Homes, possessions, because wealth has been put in its proper place and the Lord has multiplied it through the ways that he's changed our hearts, that we're not using them for ourselves, but we're using them for God's glory. That's when wealth has been put in its proper place place. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. There's one more part of the wealth, though, that we inherit. You can catch it here in verse 30. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's not the greatest thing to inherit a hundredfold. Do you guys see that there in verse 30? With persecution. That those who have already sacrificed, those who have already renounced material wealth and said, I don't need it. Uh, now, great, thank you, Lord. Uh, in return for that, we get persecutions. Multiplied, fantastic. You know what? That's God's grace. Particularly God's grace for those who have wealth. Any amount of wealth will not stop the world from hating you for knowing Jesus. So if you are living in a way that seeks to glorify Christ Jesus and you are receiving persecution or feeling uncomfortable or losing friends or losing jobs for it, praise God for his grace that is furiously not allowing us to tie our worth and value and hope to wealth and reminding us with those very persecutions, do not tie yourself to this because it will not protect you from that. Thank you, Lord for the inheritance of persecutions that allows us to remember our childlike need for God. Thank you. So this morning, the call is quite simple to respond to this story. Wherever it is that it stirs in your heart, repent of trying to earn the kingdom from worldly logic and instead receive the kingdom as a helpless child. Maybe this morning you've got a heart that is set on wealth and it's your means of security and it's your means of satisfaction. That's the deceitfulness of wealth. Does it ever satisfy or is it always just out of your reach? Maybe you're trusting in your moral wealth and walking in self-righteousness. I got this, Lord, I can do this. Is that gonna earn me the kingdom? With man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So this morning, we are called to receive that kingdom, repent of our pride, repent of our self-righteousness, repent of finding our value and our worth and our security and wealth. Cry out to the Lord, I need you. I need you. 
and receive the kingdom as a helpless child this morning. We're going to approach the Lord's table and what an awesome place to be reminded of our need for the Lord. Jesus died for us. Our need was that great. There was no other way. I didn't contribute to the salvation that he offers to me there. I did in one sense. My sin put him up there. There's my overdraft. I contributed by sinning and putting him on the cross. Yet Christ, we are reminded at communion, he died for us. His blood covers our sins. We can't earn that. We receive that. We receive that with glad hearts. We remember what Christ has done for us. And we thank Jesus. This morning, you are invited to participate in communion. If you are a member, if you are a guest here, uh, the only requirement we have is that you know Jesus, that you are trusting in him by faith, that you have received the kingdom like a child. We encourage you to reflect beforehand. We'll, We'll be singing a song. Take some time to reflect. As always, if there is sin in your life, confess it to the Lord and receive forgiveness. More specifically, if there is an area of your life where you are tied to your self-righteousness or your moral wealth, or you are tied to your material wealth, pray, work with the Lord, repent of that, and receive the kingdom like a child this morning at the table. After you receive the elements, you can make your way back to your seats, and at the end of the song, I'll be back up to lead us through communion.